I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Joe Giambroni. He is a professor of poultry science at Auburn University. Great to see you, Joe. Great to see you as well. I want to talk with you about biosecurity. Mm -hmm. This is a subject that gets a lot of attention in the poultry industry, particularly since the avian flu outbreak of a few years ago. It seems like everybody is up their game, but as with anything else, there are always some things that we could be doing better. This has been a focus of, of your work in, in recent years. Um, where, where is the industry doing a good job? Let's start out on the positive note. Well, every complex follows certain rules and guidelines that were set out usually by the state veterinarian, also further up the USDA. And um, they'll have maybe 10 um, major things that needed to be to accomplished. Uh, the problem is that um, we, they don't always do a good enough job of enforcing those 10. And that they have them both Spanish and English because we have a lot of laborers who uh, are not skilled in English. And, uh, but the, um, I would say the best thing that we're doing now is now that houses all have fences around them with gates, uh, signage. Um, we're seeing more people having, in order to get in, they have to sign in, sign out. They need to uh, tell the, the farmer where they've been, if they've been to other farms. Uh, usually their cars are kept on the other side uh, and then they at that point they they're, uh, have to have their hands uh, scrubbed with some sort of disinfectant, have to have some sort of shoe protection, possibly some sort of disposable uh, gown that they wouldn't take from one farm to another and then go in there. A lot of them will honk the horn to make the farmer come out or the caretaker and then they will uh, go over, uh, the caretaker will go over to the uh, person coming in, the visitor, what he can and cannot do. Um, then if, there are, if there's equipment they're brought in, they want to make sure that that's been disinfected, usually with some sort of alcohol rub. And then when they get into the house, um, even though they have some sort of disposable, each uh, footwear, each house usually has um, some sort of a, a bath, what well, they call it a foot bath, but they've slowly replaced the, the liquid uh, bath because it gets contaminated with organic material. And they have some sort of powder, that uh, wash powder that has bleach in it. Uh, I think that's one really good thing they've done. They've done a better job of uh, disinfecting the water regularly, blowing out the biofilm using uh, a number of compounds. They went from chlorine to chlorine dioxide, hydrogen peroxide. There's a whole number, uh, litany of different companies uh, that are putting through organic acids to clean that water out. I think we're doing a better job pelleting the feed, making sure the feed that comes in doesn't have uh, viruses, bacteria. Bacterial spores and coccidia are really a problem to, to take care of. Um, I think we're seeing in the house, I think uh, we're seeing uh, better litter control. And I think that has to do with um, the movement of ventilation, better ventilation, uh, use and maintenance of uh, the dry cups, the nipple drinkers, the keeping them as dry as possible. In between flocks, I think they're doing more composting, more poultry litter treatment. Um, so all these things, sanitation, hygiene, management, have, I think they've stepped up um, and they've had to. And, and yeah. basically the federal government if you have, let's say, influenza, if you have an outbreak of low-path influenza and you are not implementing the, um, the biosecurity, your company will not receive uh, remuneration from the depopulation of that flock. And so not only will the company lose money, but then the farmer will have lost income. 
So, so they see that and now they're trying to uh, make sure, and there's no, there's no part in the U.S. that hasn't had outbreaks of uh, low path influenza in the last 10 years that I know of. So we're doing a lot of things well, and that's Correct. comforting to hear. Um, but you know, they say that rules are made to be broken, mm -hmm. and you talked about you know, like the list of 10 rules yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah. Um, I guess a lot of this really comes down to human error or thinking no that, question. oh, if I just do it once, it's not yes. going to be an issue. Yes. Yes. What are some of the breakdowns in biosecurity that you're seeing? What do we need to do better? Well, I mean, some of it is, is spatial. You have farms too close, but those farms have been there for a long period of time. That they, they really want ha uh, farms to be maybe two to three miles apart, but in many places, they're a mile or less, and you can get windboard transmission, so there's not a whole lot you can do in something like that. Uh, but I think people uh, not, uh, farms themselves may, may kind of forget and not do the things they're supposed to. In a lot of large farms, the individuals, the farmer, the husband and wife have other jobs. So they're hiring caretakers. And these caretakers may not, there's no one there to determine whether the caretakers are doing what's there. And I think that's a problem. And uh, so that, that, that's a breakdown right there. And a lot of times these, the, the farmers themselves are family oriented and they have brothers and sisters that have chickens. And so you see that. You see sometimes, uh, you know, somebody, some, your relative may have an outbreak on, at something and you meet with them for a party or something and then you go back to your house, you go into the chicken house because you don't change. Uh, those things are human errors uh, and they're, they're going to occur. And the problem is once they get in the house with the built up litter and the things we have, it's really hard to get them out once they're in fact in. But this is, this is important stuff. I mean, yeah. what can we do to make these people more accountable for their actions? Well, there's, there's no uh, chicken police. I mean, there's just like uh, the service people have to sit down with the grower and uh, lay out the law. This is what you're supposed to do. And the, the one problem we have now is there are a lot of new growers and uh, people are just getting into it and they have not, they've made money or something in another area, doctors, lawyers, and all of a sudden they want to get into this. And so uh, they don't understand microbiology, really. And uh, that uh, we need, well, we need to have more seminars, certainly, and more uh, interactions between the farmers, the service people, and um, give them information and then follow up with the information and then have weekly, um, checkups or inspection of the farm and check their log you know the login where's the login what's going on uh, making sure that the individuals of the caretakers don't have backyard birds and in many cases they do and they're not supposed to but there's really no way to police that well That's and I wanted to ask you about that because there is this trend there are more backyard birds and if they don't have them their brother-in-law might have no, them yes. and uh, again what do what do contract growers need to understand about backyard birds and, and the people who, their relatives and friends who might own them? Um, what do they need to do to kind of separate themselves from that? Well, a lot of that comes from extension people within universities. We have individuals that work with these backyard people, and they're all associated within our department, and they work with the people that are just with the commercial. And we get together 
and uh, exchange information and also bring these backyard growers into Auburn or other universities and sit down with them and give them the information and, you know, exchange pictures. I mean, you know, whenever I, some backyard grower has a problem, a lot of times they'll send me email all kinds of pictures and then uh, I'll give them information back, but I say invariably, uh, you need to take those birds to a qualified veterinarian or a, a diagnostic lab because it's, it's very difficult to, um, to diagnose uh, these diseases by just uh, 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 an, a video or something. But uh, yeah, I think that um, there needs to be more interchange because these backyard producers, they start with 10 birds and if they get really good, they can get to hundreds really quick. And if they're not particularly good, they get wiped out quick and that, that's it. So it only takes one little error once you get something in there. And you know, the, um, it, it's just a big thing now, backyard growers. We have so many in the South right now. And it's back to nature, you know, and organic eggs. It's mostly eggs. They're not processing because they're pets. They're not, they're so, uh, and you know, a person who has 10, 15 hens all of a sudden has to start moving those eggs to somebody else because they can't eat them that fast. And so they start selling them and they're not part of the MPIP so they could have salmonella which could be passed off to somebody else. So but, uh, more education and more interaction, more exchange between the researchers, the extension people, the, the contract producers, the backyard. Uh, we're all involved. We're all family here. You know, we're, we're put all together. We're, we're not isolated. And what about the poultry companies themselves? What would be their role in raising the bar for biosecurity on these individual contract farms? Before birds are placed on a farm, they're going to have to inspect them to make sure that they have the cleanliness, the sanitation and hygiene to start with, way before the birds come. And then on the day that the birds are there, the service person needs to be able to receive those birds and check the birds and then sit down with the individual. And during that uh, first week, it's critical to maybe meet several times with the grower and watch the birds through there. The best thing a service person can do is have good communication skills because he's got to be able to, to talk with these individuals and, and get them engaged. You know, get them to say, okay, the ball, you, the, you know, you've got this uh, half million dollar or million dollar uh, mortgage on these houses. If the payback is here in 12 years, only if you follow these certain circumstances. And if you don't, then you're going to have to, to maybe work longer to get the payback. And if you don't do well enough, the contract may be 10 years, five years. You'll be a f farm without any chickens. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's great incentive for people to, to do well because, you know, they're paid back on, on, on how well they do as far as uh, weight gain, feed conversion, uh, livability, condemnation. So uh, if, if, the, if the service person comes back to them and say, well, you're on the bottom and it's because you're doing this, that and the other, then this can be presented to them and then they know it's up to them to, to move up and to make the changes. And these changes are always being uh, all the time. The retrofitting houses, uh, new feeds, new vaccines, but all that has to be, uh, you have to tell the grower what that we're doing is doing different breeds, you have to different why. age. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, let them know the changes that are being made and let them know 
the, the newest fans and, and uh, all kinds of equipment in there and how to handle it once they get it. Yeah, and that we're not just making the changes for the no, sake of making changes. No, so exactly. Why. You bottom line it with them and you, tell, you show them the payback. You know, and so a lot of them have to go to the bank sometimes to get that money. So they have to have that information to give to the lender, otherwise they're not gonna get it.